Startup Business Q&A. Good to see everyone in here. Thank you, all of you, for tuning in again. Uh, and this week is going to be one of my favorite topics. Uh, we are going to be focusing on sales persuasion, so specifically looking at understanding uh, how to get people to feel more inclined to buy from you uh, in the sales setting. So thank you to those of you who have watched millions of times before. Uh, those of you coming in for the first time, my name is Richard Moore. You're watching either on Instagram or Facebook or LinkedIn live right now. Every week we're here, but only for three more weeks inclusive. This is episode 258. And at episode 250, sorry, 260 even, in two weeks time, that's it. Whoops, that'll be it. That'll be five years of live streaming every week and that will be the end of it and I'm genuinely feeling really excited not about finishing it so necessarily as much as the new chapter I'm really really pumped about uh starting the YouTube channel up again I'm really pumped about it um I'm so keen to get into that and so July 19th, the day that we finish this live stream and, and that being the end of it, uh, we will simultaneously start uh, with the um, with with YouTube new videos going up. Shorts will be coming up soon, uh, but we'll be dropping the first of the new style of videos out there as well. I'm really excited about this. So uh, in advance, thank you, those of you who are, are backing me and supporting me. And already a lot of people actually have been sharing how the keen they're into uh, this idea of pivoting to YouTube just feels right. It's something I should have been doing a little while back, probably. And certainly now I'm just I'm pumped to get into it. I really am. So uh, it will be massive. If you're interested in the kind of content I produce around uh, digital marketing strategy, and I'm specifically talking about content-led attraction-based uh, marketing approach. I've done this for many years, really done well with it. Uh, and if you want to look at how um, I navigate sales persuasion and the tiny things, I mean, we're looking at things like how I've converted people who originally spammed me into high ticket clients, how I break down uh, a call to action so that you understand the mechanics behind it, um, why some people buy and some people don't, how to do the close, how to open a call, all of this stuff that I am massively pumped about nerding out about. That's what we're going to be covering uh, in the YouTube channel. So July 19th, Monday, that first call drops. I'm so pumped. And uh, and at, simultaneously, we'll be finishing these live streams. But in the meantime, uh, this week, we'll be looking at sales persuasion or persuasion in sales. I just want to see who is on chat right now. Lewis Clack, my man, watching on Facebook. Good to see you. I am finishing, finishing them in five years. You're right. But I will be doing the pivot to YouTube. So if you still are keen on my content, There'll be a new video every week. It just simply won't be live. Will I go live from time to time? Sure. Uh, I might do it in other ways. So for instance, live on LinkedIn is rubbish. Like you get terrible engagement. I know someone who has over a million followers. And when that person went live recently, like she would, she probably got less engagement than I would do on an average video. So it's just weak. And there's, and I just think people don't, it's not that people don't watch live anymore, but live is not quite as readily consumed as other things. Uh, other types of live are obviously kind of trending right now. Uh, on Saturday night, uh, if you're in the US, I was uh, on Clubhouse with my friends Chris Doe and Judy, Judy, Judy Fox and, uh, and the Future Group. And, you know, there were hundreds and hundreds of people listening right then. So that was really good fun. So deploying my time better is, the, is what it's all about, really. And so, yes, Lewis, I will be stopping this live stream. Uh, there, are, there will be, in two weeks' time, 260 episodes that you can always go back through. Um, but I will still be around. It's just I won't be doing live every week. Uh, like I say, it's just I need to make sure I'm using my time right and the YouTube channel feels a bit better. So thanks so much for that. If you're watching right now on Instagram, Facebook or LinkedIn, do put in the comments uh, firstly, where you're watching from, where are you tuning in from? Uh, are you part of the hashtag team live? if you're watching live or if you're watching the replay later on, hashtag team replay. Shout out to those of you who are listening to the podcast. 
uh, or watching IGTV uh, episode later on. I really appreciate you doing that. And I I do check it out. So thank you very much for doing so. Uh, James Perry, my man from Ireland. Good morning from County Down. Good afternoon, even from County Down. Uh, we've also got uh, my friend uh, Este watching, I believe it is from South Africa as well. Uh, Juma is watching. Uh, hey, Richard. Richard, good day. Good, great to see you. Uh, and we've got Martin Barnes, newly connected to you, uh, recently connected to you. Uh, hello from the UK, you're saying. So great to watch uh, all these people coming in. Thank you very much. Carolina is watching from Delaware Beach, Florida. Hope you're well. Uh, Lewis has said, um, looking forward to it, mate. Hope you're well. Are you into crypto? I'm not in the, into crypto in the way in which broke people into crypto, where they pretend they're experts in Bitcoin and spam everyone. <laughs> but I, I do, I do own some cryptocurrencies. Yes, um, my this is this is a little off piece, but my my portfolio is 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 nice and diverse, and it's not too heavily stacked in the way of um, cryptocurrencies. Because although I hold, no, I think I hold four. I think I hold four of them, but that it's like. <laughs> Is exceptionally volatile, as everyone doing it will know. And so I'm, I'm a big fan of making sure I'm in a safer place um, uh, than, than having all, doing all in on Bitcoin or, or whatever. So yes, is the answer, but, uh, but not nonstop. Jumi, you're watching from Trinidad and Tobago. Wow, awesome. I wish I was there right now. It is persistent rain here in the UK, despite it being July. Uh, shout out to all my American friends, uh, including family over there as well. I hope you all had a good July 4th. If you celebrated it, uh, those on the West Coast, I feel for you. No fireworks, apparently, because the weather's so horrific. Uh, so I hope you're all OK and safe. Um, if you're tuning in right now, let us know where you're watching from. And if you have a question about sales persuasion, do let me know. Um, I want to shout out, however, before I get started, the Entrepreneur Business Group. The reason why is in there right now, we have a uh, giveaway. I do giveaways all time. And right now it is a $50 giveaway to the best comment. Okay, so I, this kind of thing we do a lot of in this group. If you're not in it, go to Facebook and search Entrepreneur Business Group or just type facebook.com slash groups slash Entrepreneur Business Group, all one word. That's a six year old group now. I'm super proud of it. Uh, it's a great team working on it. And uh, there's a post right now because it is Monday, which uh, is simply asking, what's the best way to start a week? So best comment will get $50. I'll announce that later this week. And uh, you can share in the comments right now if you can't be bothered to go there, no problem. But if your comment is on there, you'll probably get uh, a chance. Well, you get a chance to win $50 uh, if you're keen on it. Uh, please join the group and let us know uh, what your best way of starting the week is. We'd be interested to hear in the uh, in the comments here as well. Let's get into questions. Um, and then after a few questions, I'm going to share three tips for persuasion in sales. There are huge amounts of persuasion in sales related tips, just three that are really, really important. Um, in fact, let's do this. Uh, I'm going to do a question, then a tip, then a question, a tip, then a question, then a tip. And we'll see how that goes. So first question is from Adam Laurie, the man here in the UK through Facebook has asked, if you don't mind uh, talking about this, It'll be interesting to understand more about your full business strategy model. Uh, we have forever, but we'll do best. Um, for instance, are you using LinkedIn to promote the LinkedIn Accelerator course? Thank you for shouting that out, Adam, by the way, which you're a member of. Uh, which, by the way, LinkedIn Client Accelerator I run is one year old uh, last week. So I, I'm, it's my favorite product right now. I love them all. Uh, but like, I'm really proud. I mean, my previous favorite product, aside from one-on-one -on -one coaching, which is just the best, uh, was my Udemy course, uh, The Basics of Sales, which is the highest rated, rated LinkedIn basics course out of over 10,000 results. It is the highest rated one on Udemy. So do jump in if you want that. But the LinkedIn Client Accelerator is a year old. Over 70 businesses and entrepreneurs have jumped in. Or, sorry, almost 70. Uh, so if you're keen, let me know. Uh, and I'll share more on that. It's about simply converting to clients. Thank you, Adam, for the segue. But I'll get on with your question. Um, for instance, you're using LinkedIn to promote the LinkedIn Accelerator course and also personal coaching. You also have the Entrepreneur Business Group on Facebook, which I just mentioned. 
uh, and are planning on launching a YouTube? Yes, I am. I already mentioned that. Thank you. In the grand scheme of things, how does this all fit together and how do you plan to monetize each area of it? It'll be fantastic to hear more about it as it might be something we should think about doing, as I know a few people have or are launching their own courses as well. So he's right in observing that there's something of an ecosystem here. And the idea is that I'm trying to court different people or court people on different platforms because everyone has their own flavor. Everyone prefers different things. Even if they are on all the platforms, they might be more, you know, Facebook or more LinkedIn. And I suppose the idea always, always is remembering that with quality content um, and presence. So if I'm being present as much as possible, what I will find is that eventually those that would want to buy my services, such as my accelerator, um, tend to warm themselves, warm themselves to a point where they end up buying into it. So what that looks like is, you know, if they're just looking at LinkedIn, they will they will find it interesting that the content I'm sharing. And eventually, if they are of the right kind of type of person and mindset, this is the right kind of thing for them. They do tend to find that after a while consuming enough content there. They, they they send themselves a, a comment my way, a DM my way and find out a bit more. The idea of the YouTube channel isn't to go straight to monetization. I mean, you can run ads and things like that, but we're not going to make much money on it. With YouTube, I'm going to do probably what I did with LinkedIn to begin with, which is hold my breath commercially to begin with. But my plan with YouTube, I've hired someone to really help me do it properly. We're building native, uh, organic a granically built kind of content do it all as 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 well as we're meant to um but the idea is for a year i'm going to produce content there with no expectations at all of return i know there will be though but the idea is to drive people at the kind of the ecosystem of richard so here's the funnel for you bit for you uh, adam people tend to um if they find my content interesting, stick around for more of it. And that kind of giving uh, approach to the top of the funnel is the best way to, to do things. So as long as I've got an abundance of different types of content, so not everyone's going to consume video, not everyone's going to watch this live stream, not everyone's going to watch me on YouTube, some people want to read text, for instance, as long as there's an abundance uh, of, of high, high enough frequency of content, people will eventually start feeling positive about what I do. YouTube will simply be another stream or channel to get people interested in me uh, and, and or more specifically what it is I, I can offer. But the idea is that I'm not going to be chasing anyone. So I'm very, very pleased that I've worked to get to a place where I don't do cold outreach. There's literally no phone calls or DM saying, hi, can we connect, please? I have a thing I'd like to offer you. It's much more attraction based uh, and, and using some of the things I'll talk about today in terms of persuasion in sales. I mean, this really is the play I've got, which is that the funnel relies on them being persuaded by themselves that I'm an interesting person. Enough consumption of my content means there's enough familiarity. With enough familiarity, there becomes greater level of trust. And so receptivity goes up to hearing more from me about something. So YouTube after a year or so, sure, we will probably be monetize, you know, vids and things like that if, if, if it's worthwhile, if there's enough in the way of, of views and things. But the idea is to drive people at my brand and content because I know it converts sometimes people watch two videos and they're like, oh, I mean, this is great. Or they read one post like this guy is the guy for me and this conversion straight away. Sometimes people take up to it. I had someone recently join my accelerator and she said, I've been following you for a year. Everyone goes at their own pace. And so by having this constant uh, um, uh, theme of focusing on content at the top of the funnel, it means I can be all things to all people in terms of the pace they want to warm themselves up at. Um, and so the entrepreneur business group on Facebook is something similar. It's monetized in the sense that it's so far high up in the top of the funnel. There's good feeling against great value given by me. And eventually some people pop out and say, do you know what? This guy might really have it be able to help me. So it's about reputation building. What I did, like I say, when I first started with LinkedIn was I went all in 
on simply focusing on being a good guy, sharing good value and making right connections and being seen in the right light. Monetization is and, and, and pivoting and converting is so much more simplistic when you don't focus first and foremost on trying to close people uh, unless it's in the background. You focus much more on just being a, a useful font of knowledge. So all of these components feed into that. YouTube is a necessary part of the process simply because when you really get it going, it's kind of like a flywheel and you can be seen more and more and more by more and more pieces of content. Whereas on the other platforms, LinkedIn being a great example, you post something and it kind of dies after a couple of days, you see. So a very good, well-performing post might last a week, like doing well in terms of engagement. I had one last week featured by uh, a post featured by LinkedIn itself, by the LinkedIn editorial team. So that's done really well. And that's still literally right now having people looking at it. But in the main, your posts kind of die. Whereas with YouTube, of course, there's that ability to be found and found and found despite how long or, or old the, uh, the, the content is. So I just think that it's important to understand that it's not all about driving every single action at monetization and trying to get deals or pivoting. It's actually about taking my taking the view that if I can put good content out there and be abundant and present enough, that will actually start the process of warming people. And there are people in seven months from now who I will be doing a deal with, who, by the way, I've never met and won't meet until then, who are now seeing this content for the first time. And then they see me again. And then we engage a bit, perhaps, in the comments. And then there's some kind of other warming because they continue seeing and following. And that's the process. So my focus is in putting good stuff in the top uh, content for a mass of people across a number of platforms. And the rest of the process is quite simple. Those that find that valuable tend to warm themselves. And then when I offer some kind of a, a pivot out, a call to action, that's where they act if they feel right. So it's a very, very passive form of persuasion, but it's the best type if you can hold your breath. In the meantime, and, and you know, this is an approach I've had since 2014, but in the meantime, uh, you need to be in the background scanning all the time like is there someone who's showing a level of interest where you can move into the dms for instance um so i'm always looking where the opportunities still are i like doing these great uh chats on clubhouse recently i'm, I'm speaking at a sales summit uh, next week which i'll share more of soon uh like these kind of things are, are good to also add other content out there um but yeah hopefully that can help a bit this that's how it all fits together um but it's not a case of like can i can I convert from everything, every single post or, or, or anything like that? Sometimes it's a little bit more subtle, but I think you probably knew that anyway. So yeah, really good question. Thank you much uh, for asking. Um, let's see who else has uh, tuned in and asked uh, or said anything. Morning from Texas, says Summer McAfee. Uh, we have Jerry watching from New York. Say from a man watching from Berlin. Big ups, congratulations. One year LinkedIn Accelerator. I'm so proud of it. I'm really happy. And I'm so proud of the group the like the business owners who show up every week uh the results are crazy we had someone last week had his first five figure month and just little wins like that obviously it was a big win for him but like things like that really make the difference and what it is is a, the people who join it are a collect like i say it's almost 70 of them that is a, a collection of people who are cool with putting in the work. They just need their hand held and the bit of guidance. So it really makes a big difference. Thank you, Safer. And Safer K is going to be one of the co-hosts of the new book club. We'll be rolling out perhaps in a, in a few weeks' time uh, in uh, the Entrepreneur Business Group. We just want to really make sure that we get the format right for everyone. I'm really excited about that. So thank you very much, uh, Safer. Um, and uh, I've got a couple of questions coming in, which I'll get to in a sec. Uh, Martin Barnes uh, signing out because they've got the school run. <laughs> I'm actually struggling with school these days because um, one of my daughters is home being homeschooled because they have a coronavirus outbreak in one of their year groups. So <laughs> the bubble has burst and we have to be back back at home, unfortunately. Uh, thank you so much uh, for this comment as well. Uh, we have uh, Kenneth Dunner, Richard Moore, savour the flavour of the awesomeness in you, sir, for sharing this with us. You're such a gentleman, gentleman. Human being and a friend of mine to millions who shares his goodness with others, the betterment of humankind. That's very kind. Thank you, mate. Right. Next tip. So first tip on sales persuasion. If you're taking notes, here we go. First one is a reframe of how you see the sales dynamic. Your position as vendor, 
compared to their position as prospect. You, here is the tip, you are the prize. They are not the prize. When you really understand this you, and, you, and you bolt that mindset and that perspective onto uh, work you're doing on personal brand, specifically on positioning, and you understand concepts such as the frame, which is the perspective through which someone views you, you understand that chasing is a terrible idea because it gives all the power in the dynamic to the buyer. Now, there's nothing wrong with letting a buyer have some say in this process. But what we don't want to do is chase someone because if we chase, then we when it then it means that um, you know we're we're an easy catch for them. It gives all the power to them because it means all they have to do is decide if they want to buy from us or not. But that's not down to us. When we chase someone, uh, what happens is then they start shopping around. It devalues us. And people who chase tend to be the category of people who look at discounts and negotiating and uh, they they trouble themselves with learning how to hold the price when that objection comes up and things like that. Whereas the complete antithesis of this is rotating the table 180 degrees. And this isn't a power play in the sense that you're trying to be super alpha in front of this person. It, what it is, is about understanding that positioning yourself as a prize, as someone who has worth and value in what you do by a number of uh, approaches. So things like great social proof, people talking about you, displaying a performance of yourself being an expert at what you do, this being an example of it, this, this very live stream, for instance, positions you as someone at a, at a higher level for some at what you do compared to the masses. So my first job for the first years of my career, you know, we're looking at 18 years ago now, is cold, was cold calling people. And the cold calling I was doing was completely a chase. And the whole game was trying to get a president, CEO, managing director onto a phone call. That was the entire game, just trying to get them on a call. And if I got them on a call before they put down the phone or before, you know, they just like got bored of it, I'd have to say something magical to make them decide to spend some time with me. And, you know, nowadays we don't even pick up the phone because we know that it's going to be a, a sales call automated, for instance. But but back then, you know, sales, a, a call was a legit thing. It would be a human being. And it was hard because they had all the power. It was hard because I was in this position where I was chasing them. But when you make yourself the prize, what you're doing, the best way to do it is to say to yourself, imagine I'm not allowed to do the make the first move. This is the way you should always do it. I'm not allowed to make the first move. I can't send the first message. I can't make the first phone call. By the way, all those things are absolutely fine if you're good at them. They're absolutely fine. But I wanted to choose a world where I didn't chase, where people came to me, because it affects the back end of the sales process so much better. When you have a sales process which begins with the prospect wanting you, you have the position of power and it's much more likely that that person will, will buy, but also not play games and try and negotiate so much or shop around. So if I want to get, if I have unlimited resources, okay, unlimited money, for instance, and I want to get the, uh, uh, you know, a, a great business mentor, then I'm going to seek out the best money can buy. I'm going to go straight to the top. I'm going to be like, how much would it cost? What would it need to look like for Elon Musk to to suggest uh, to, like to be my mentor each week as a, as a terrible example? But you see what I'm saying? So I would chase that person. I wouldn't shop around. I'd be like, it's got to be this, this guy. If you had all the money in the world, what what car would you buy? If you had all the money in the world, what phone would you get? If we had all the money in the world, what things would you do? You can imagine you, you like you discard everything and you go for the best. And so positioning yourself as such with your services, this is why personal brand really matters, uh, moves you to a place where people are like, I'm not even asking anyone else. It just has to be you. So, so what I'm interested in, it sounds like an ego play, but it's actually positioning a product and service based on their perception of you. Uh, they're much more likely to buy. So when you make yourself the prize, basically what happens is people don't say, 
Hey, so we're looking at someone who might be able to help us with LinkedIn, like coaching or something. I've been looking around and, uh, you know, you seem to be doing it. Why should we use you? And like that approach puts you in this box with everyone else. And now you're fighting and competing. What's far better is if you share that you're good, put it out there that you're good at what you do. And by the way, if you're no good, then you tend to get what you deserve. If you're not very good at, you know, articulating uh, something useful to to your audience uh, or, or showing that you're an expert, well, you tend to get what you deserve, which is no one really steps forward. But when you do share that you know what you're talking about, people are like, this guy seems to know his stuff. And over time, they warm themselves and they say, I'm not even going to look around like it needs to be you. I'm not looking for a LinkedIn coach. I need Richard Moore to be the person to help me with this. And that's why people seek you out. You know, the, the talk I did on um, Saturday night with the future, future group was not me going, hi, I see you're doing a talk on Clubhouse. Can I be in it, please? Would that be OK? It was uh, I created a sense of, of me being the prize. And they asked me, would you come and be on the panel, please? Because you're good at what you do. Are there people better than me? I'm sure there are. But the point is for that set of people who had consumed my content, they felt I was best in class at what I speak about. So that's what they asked me. You see, so, so warming through content is a valuable play and always having this mindset of I am the prize. This is not egotistical because if, if you have the mindset, I am the prize, I am the person they should be chasing, but you don't do anything about you don't have any actions that map to the outcome, well, then you won't get any results. But when you take the actions that attract, and again, the best way to do this is to ask yourself, what would it need to look like if I couldn't ever take the first step? Well, content, you need to get people to come to you. I really would rather there was a better word than this, but it's essentially good bait. What's the bait? And the bait is curiosity or a display of your expertise, for instance, and things like that. And then people start talking about you, showing up for you, and and then you're away. It does snowball over time. So I really hope that that helps. Let's go on to the next uh, question. Jenny Kaur, uh from London um, via Barcelona asks, uh, if you could also go in more depth or we'll go in more depth on the strategy behind launching a course or a program, that would really help. So in terms of sales persuasion, it's the similar thing, Jenny. If I want to launch a brand new course, it's immensely difficult to do that from a standing start when no one knows me. It's far better to warm first. So it's always difficult for people when they haven't got any kind of engagement from an audience and, and they want to launch something. This is why a lot of businesses fail and, and certainly new businesses as startups that I've worked with for many years, they fail because they focus so much on the product that no one knows about them when it comes to launch day. And that's why they fail. So what's far better is to share along the way. So your marketing at the beginning as you are in concept phase, as you are building your product, should be sharing what you're up to because you need people to be warmed first. OK, so for instance, it's exactly the same as like when a film or a movie comes out. You're not told the day the film comes out that there's this new film. You're warmed up sometimes up to a year in advance. You know, I remember like 20 years ago when Lord of the Rings was coming out, it was like, Great, we've got this advert for Lord of the Rings, but like <laughs> these commercials are coming out eight months in advance and you're like, you're, it's killing me not watching it, but that's the point, you see, it's to warm you up. Coca-Cola famously really runs its campaign for Christmas across all of Q4. So you see the holidays are coming adverts in like end of October, November for Christmas. All these Christmas adverts are there because the the... The point of it is that the brand is warming the audience. That's step one. So that when it comes to, I've said this last year, I remember, when it comes to the 200 quid uh, Christmas shop a week before Christmas, what you're doing is you're thinking Coca-Cola because, of course, they've been branding, like warming themselves up in your mind for some time. So you've got to warm first, Jenny. You have to, you can't expect great sales unless you're using ads, which is a different, a different approach. But organically, can't expect great sales of your course if you haven't got any kind of momentum behind your, your content first. Then I like some kind of a pre-launch. 
So my accelerator that that hit a year old last week, uh, what I did in week one was I actually pre-launched it. There was no course and we hadn't done anything yet at all. So the accelerator is weekly group coaching with me. Everyone in the group gets together, but there's also an eight module course. But in week one, there's no course. The following week, I rolled out module one and then two and then so on. They came out across the next two months. And so the product was being built after I'd done the sales. I'd already got five or six sales in before that first module dropped because pre-selling is important because the essential part to having a course often is to make sure that you have volume quick. So you need to have a sense of, you know, get some community, but also it's crucial to make sure especially if you're having a group course like I have where there's people going to be showing up for these calls each week, you can't have like no one in it because then people start wondering like, like, was I the idiot that bought and what did I miss here? Why, how come no one else has joined? So volume is a group crucial part to it. It says a lot about the course if there's no one interested in it. Uh, my Udemy course has got hundreds of people who have bought it. If it had like six then when you visit Udemy to see, to see if you want to buy the basics of LinkedIn course, you'd be like, but only six people have bought this. And so it can't be all that, you know, so it needs it needs a volume as well. So warm first, pre-launch, focus on volume. And I really found that helps. So it doesn't mean you drop drop the price through the, through the floor, but do think about, you know, what your onboarding price is for those first case studies that you get in the group. Then soon into it, uh, Jenny, you know, a, a month or so in, start on the testimonials, you know, start getting people to share how they feel about it. I remember about four weeks in. So remember, four weeks in, I'd not even built half my accelerator course. I then went around a bunch of people who'd started getting sales already uh, because that's what we do in it. And I said, you know, how's it been going? Um, would you share a couple of lines in just in text, like not even a video, yet, a couple of text lines on how it's been? And I picked out a few people and they're like, they're like, it's been great. I really love it. I made these sales so far. Here's, here's, you know, here's what's happened. And then I could leverage that in a post. I remember doing it and that posted really well. And so it helped to snowball. Um, and, and then, and then you can have something of a launch, you know, there's nothing wrong with continually launching and relaunching. So I did this pre-launch, like a beta case study group, I called it as the course had been built. The moment I finished the eighth module, being built, uh, Jenny, which was week nine. So over two months in, I then was like, hey, it's done. Time to launch. It stirs up more interest as well. So this concept of constantly relaunching, there's nothing wrong with it. No one, no one's going to hold it against you, but it's a nice way of stimulating some interest in it as well. You just don't want to be too salesy. You know, if you're going to do content on it, then you need to draw something valuable from the course uh, or the or the program, give it to an audience. And then if and then offer an invite, you know, if they want to learn more, they can get in touch rather than just, hey, I've launched this course. It needs to be something led by value always, really. So that worked really well. That's what I would do. But the crucial part is that the strategy is to begin with warming first. So hopefully that hopefully that helps. Really, really important. If you're watching on Facebook or LinkedIn right now, could you tell me in the chat how the video stream looks. I've tried a new bit of tech today and I want to see if the if the actual video quality has like um, wavy lines on it or not. Just let me know if that's the case. I'm just testing it. Um, uh, so just let me know. Okay, so that's um, that's second question. Thank you for that, Jenny. Second sales persuasion tip. First one was you have to understand the idea of you are the prize. Second one is more about um, more about the idea of how people are persuaded, uh, and it's a it's a particular comment commentary on that. So, the most persuasive voice in the world is one you need to understand and leverage, and the most in, the most persuasive voice in the world in a sale isn't you the vendor, the person selling, the most persuasive voice in the world, the one that people listen to the most. No, it's not their parents either. It's themselves. They hear their voice and they believe it that much more, which is why, you know, people sometimes convince themselves of bad stuff or convince themselves of good things by saying over and over again to themselves, like that people call them affirmations, for instance. If you constantly have this dialogue with yourself, then you start believing it. So 
the most persuasive voice in the world is your own, uh, sorry, is their own or, or your own if you're believing it for yourself. What it means is you have to get them. You have to think to yourself, what things can I do to get them to share why you are a good idea? So, for instance, in a sales pitch, if we go into a more advanced part of your process, if someone is, if you're, if you're having a sales call with someone and someone shares that they like the idea, exploring that is a really good technique. So if you say something like, so what part about that do you like the most? Why do you think that that's useful? Why do you think that's going to make the most difference? Or what is it you like the most about that? You tend to find then that in order to answer, they have to go in here in their brain and go, well, what is it? What is the thing I like the most about this offering? Well, it's this, Richard. I think this will help the most, which is why one of the worst questions you can ask in a sales call is, does that sound interesting? Because you should know it's interesting because otherwise, why are you having the call? They should be qualified and you should be sharing something that they would naturally want based on your engagement with them. So to check if it's interesting at all is absurdity. Far better to ask them what part is most interesting. We're being more assumptive here that it is interesting. But again, the point of it is so that they say out loud, well, Richard, this is the thing that's most interesting about this. What I'm doing then is I'm basically um, creating this wonderful scenario where they tell me why they think it's good. Now, in a less advanced part of the sales process, you can do exactly the same as this. You can basically say to yourself, where can I catch people thinking to themselves, now that's pretty good, or I like what they do. What you can do is you can catch them when they check out your content, or if they write you a comment, or if they look at your profile, for instance. If I look at something like, you can't do this on Facebook or, or Instagram, but on LinkedIn, if someone looks at my profile, it will say, here are the people who looked at your profile today. So I can go in there and I can say, Richard, thanks so much for checking out my profile. Was there anything in particular that caught your eye? And so run saying thanks, looking at the profile on its own, I'm now asking that person to share what in particular they liked the most. What that does is make them go, what is it I liked the most about his profile? Or if I say, if I get someone who sends me a comment after, for instance, I had scores of comments over this weekend from people who'd watched the, um, the interview I did uh, with, or listened to the interview I did with Glenn Lundy on uh, Friday uh, and the uh, panel discussion I did with the Future Group and Chris Doe uh, over the weekend, scores of people asking me, you know, like, like saying things like, it was really good. Thanks so much for showing up. And so when you ask them, well, what part was most interesting? What part did you find most valuable? And they share that in order to share it up here. Psychologically, they have to have asked themselves, what bit do I like the most about what Richard did? So they have to view you in the right light, which is why this tip is crucial. We have to always get think about the fact that the most persuasive voice is their own. If they say out loud, why they think you're great, they believe it a lot. So it's a good technique to try and keep them continually doing that. Okay, it's a really good question. Thank you, Nick Pass. Wow, it's a blast from the past. Nick Pass, I worked with you 10 years ago. Top quality, great hairstyle as well. Thank you. Despite the, the uh, bad haircuts I've had recently, uh, I'm actually going for one tomorrow. Safe care, video quality is solid. Thank you for checking that. Gary Frey, good to see my man. I really appreciate it. Uh, so this is week 258 of Startup Business Q&A. We are talking about sales persuasion. Ask me a question if you have one. Um, we have three sessions left, including this one. So we have next week and then the week after on the 19th of July is episode 260. Five years uh, of consecutive Monday Q&As since we started. And that's it. We're done. And I, I'm pivoting to then the YouTube channel, which will roll out the same day. 19th of July will be the first video. And then we'll be rolling out videos weekly. But of course, shorts along the way. Shorts, for those who don't know, are sub one minute videos that are are up on YouTube. A bit like a bit like stories in a way. They're just but, but not. But they're like they they're kind of shorter versions of, of a bigger, well-produced video. So looking forward to the pivot there. I can't wait, in fact, for that. Before I get into the final tip, let's do one more question. Safer himself, who I think is watching on Facebook, asked, really curious to hear your point of view here. 
Would you, how would you persuade in a B2B, so business to business sales context, what could be a cold call or a first meeting, if you know that your offer or service is by default not perceived as a crucial need? I did this for years. A crucial need is something where it's like, we have to do this. In the pandemic, people were seeing me as a crucial need because I show people how to convert and sell and how to do it on LinkedIn. When you combine the two, it's like when you're not allowed to leave the office and you have to close deals, it was ideal. So I suddenly became a crucial need when before the pandemic, some people were like, yeah, we're fine without online selling. I'm sure we can just do it face to face as we have for years, but they hadn't they hadn't practiced the skill. So that that can change. There's flux in, in that for, for sure. He, he goes on, I understand sales persuasion as putting things in a need or benefit context, but need, but feel more than welcome. Sorry, but feel more than welcome, more than welcome to add something else if I'm misunderstanding. Yeah, you're, you're along the right line. So, so what, what's weird about this is, is that if you are selling something that is a nice to have, as it's called, or something that like, it's not like, you know, they're not going bankrupt if they don't buy you, then it's kind of it's kind of harder than, of course, if you're selling something where people really need it. And what you tend to find is the caliber of salespeople is lower when it's something where people really need it and higher where it's some, something where they don't need it. A great example of a product people feel, because this is always a feeling, people feel they need it, they like desperately need it, is mobile phones. There's no one pretty much, like, I know some people feel like they're all very progressive and they don't have a mobile or whatever. And they're, they're so evolved to not. But the point is, in the main, everyone has a mobile phone or so. So so the people who sell mobile phones, knowing that someone has to buy the mobile, always buy a mobile phone that, or cell phone if you're in the US, um, they don't have to have a high level of sales skill. Those that do obviously outperform the average, but they basically can be crap and sit in a shop and people will still walk in and buy from them um same goes for for computers like everyone needs them for certain things because the internet is our life basically so like when i bought my laptop i remember my latest one a, a couple of years ago the guy was terrible it was like what, painful i couldn't give him the money because he was going through this ridiculous um sales process that he was he, he couldn't maneuver out of and i was like it was hurting me going through this. And it's like, I just want to buy the thing. And he's like, I have to do this first. I have, I'm like, really? So the point being, despite him being atrocious, not his fault, bad training, uh, uh, despite being atrocious, I still bought the thing. No problem. I was the easiest sell. There was no push for discount. I might just get it. So that's really crucial to bear in mind. And, and what you find is that people who are really, really good often are selling things that are harder to sell. So let's get into this question. How do you sell it? You're actually selling softer things more than the product. So, and this is interesting because people who spam, say in emails, often have a really good service. A perfect example of this, of, of something where it would be a great service if I had it, but most people devalue it because of their approach, is SEO, is search engine optimization. It's exceedingly difficult to promote search engine optimization services. The reason why is because it is associated with spam. And because it's associated with spam, people believe that you will probably be a worthless service. And that's in the main, what's the, whatever the case is. If you go to your junk bot inbox uh, after this live stream and check, most of the junk mail is people offering you SEO and website, like they'll build you an app and things like that. And it's the same old thing over and over again. And the thing is that that is, that is probably a really good service. It helps if I was top of Google, or any search engine for sales or for LinkedIn or conversion, for instance, I'd be crushing it. That'd be amazing. But the problem we've got is that people trying to sell it are doing it in a way that won't work with me because that they're joining a body of people that uh, and mimic a style that I've been conditioned to believe is spam. So how do you fix this? These soft skills are critical here. 
And I've sold in the past many things that people did not need. I sold business conferences. I also sold online marketing that people did not need and they were fine without it. And so the reason why I was very good at selling uh, and, and, and have been since is because of me, not the product. And I've sold in my past very mediocre products that still performed. They did right. I always believed in the product. It was always good, more than good enough. But the point is that some were not best in class. Some had a ridiculously high price point for what they were getting, but I was still able to sell because of crucial understanding that people are buying products, not robots. And when people buy products, they don't follow logic first. They follow emotion first. Despite what you might think, the most logical person also leans in more when there's an emotional attachment to, sure, the brand, but often the person. So what does it look like? It looks like confidence. So self-confidence and self-belief, belief in your product as well. OK, and that has to shine through in a lack of hesitancy, but more importantly, in their feeling that you've got this. They have they are buying this feeling of you've got this. You're not going to screw them over and take their money and they get nothing. They, you, there's a level of trust. They feel like if they give you their money, they're in safe hands. OK, there's there's someone who's building my new website right now. It was the easiest deal from in the world. I'm like, yeah, no problem. Like I gave him the cash straight. Just go like your soul. Like in my head, I feel he's got this. He's built a website for me before. He's built websites for people I know. There's no question. He's got this. I feel like he's got this. And so that belief is what got him the gig. Uh, people, the guy, the guy Calvin who, and, and create content.io who make my uh, gifts and uh, carousels, the easiest sale in the world for them because the like are there pe people who have a greater ability to do design work probably, but do I believe in them? Yeah, I, I believe that, that I have confidence that they've got this, and so the other considerations as well as that confidence that you've got this that you can deliver. And they, they've got to feel that through, again, a lack of hesitancy, this sense that, oh, I, I know exactly what to do. It's not arrogance, but it's just like, I got this. I know exactly what I'm doing. The uh, next thing is that you have to be speaking to the right person. The reason why is because of the third thing. But the second thing is you have to be speaking to the right person. The right person is always the top person. And if the right person is someone who is not the top person, you ideally should start still with the top person. So if I'm going to sell a CMO, chief marketing officer at a corporate, uh, they might hold the budget, sure. But if I've spoken to the CEO as well before, that carries so much more weight. All the gigs I ever work on, all of the deals I've ever done, I've done literally, if I look at the last 12 months, literally hundreds of deals, all of them have been with the person running their company. Like, like there have been a couple where it's not, but they're the ones where they've come to me and gone, hi, can I, can I just buy this, please? But in the main, they're always with the top person, okay? So the crucial reason why this is important is that the third point is that they have to like you. This sounds weird, but social matters because you're buying from humans. And there's the saying people buy people, but that's not specific enough. It's people buy people they like or people by people like them. So if you get on with someone, if you resonate with them, if you have something of a relationship, some kind of kinship, they just get the deal. So my man, Justin, who's building my website right now, like we get on really well. He did my previous website and did a good job. So like, why wouldn't I give him this, this, this one? Another example I've used in the past, my bro-in-law is a locksmith that lives reasonably local. So if I have a problem with a, I never do. Like if I lost my keys, I do, I've never lost my keys in my life. But if I lost my keys, I'd call him. Is he the best locksmith? No, he's probably not. He's only been doing it a few years. Is he the cheapest? No, he charges me full rate as well. But why does he get the gig? Because I like him because he's my brother-in-law. I, I, I know a guy who's like, if, if it's plumbing I can't do, then I've got a friend over the road and her brother is the guy who gets the gig as a plumber. Is he the best? Actually, no. But is he more than good enough? Yes, he is. And he's reliable. I know where he is. And I just know it. Like, And so that's how it works. And you're all the same. And when you buy from a brand, whilst you don't know the person, 
good example being an iPhone from Apple, you buy the brand because you trust and believe it. You like it. You like being part of the tribe and what it represents to you. So actually safer. There's a long winded answer here, but, but that's crucial to understand the way you sell in a cold call or a meeting is you have to lean first into understanding that persuasion starts with them resonating with you and liking you and respecting you. So sometimes there's no rapport. Sometimes they're cold. So in those instances with that character typing, you have to have uh, a focus on building respect, professional rapport, as it's known. And that's knowing your stuff. And so sometimes you're not going to get someone warm to you because they're not in emotional or social persuasion, but a character typing. So what you do is you go, you say to yourself, I'll impress them through knowledge and impress them through what I talk about. I think that I I know there's a number of people who have bought from me, not because we've hit it off on like a pally banter level. It's because they're like, wow, you know your stuff like like. I thought I knew my thing. But for instance, on, on the clubhouse uh, the weekend, there was a guy, um, Eric, awesome connection, who is uh, who works at Microsoft. Uh, he has a fairly punchy role there. And what's interesting is that um, the, uh, the way we engaged to start with, although at the end he offered me a beer, which was quite nice, but it started with professional rapport because I, I geeked out aggressive, like went really nerdy about LinkedIn and he like really dug that. I could sense by his character typing that that was the kind of delivery I needed to, to get his respect because he, was, he wasn't being cold, that's unfair to him, but he was being quite kind of form, um, uh, formal with everyone. And so I, I gave him depth and so he I clearly impressed him and as a result that, that kind of broke him down. So your answer here in sales persu- persuasion in, in the sales context, you should always be thinking, if I can get them to be impressed with me or like me or stimulate them, sometimes banter's good. You have to feel your way, see what kind of person you've got. Then that actually creates the best foundation because now they want to buy from you if, you're, if your product's actually right or not. So that's kind of where I tee it up from. Hopefully that helps. Uh, my man, Jonathan Featherstone, it's been a while. Hope you're well. Has asked, what about high ticket business items, Richard? The higher ticket the product, the more high ticket relates to the price of your proposition, uh, uh, Jonathan. The higher ticket the product, so the more money you you need from them, the more it's about relationships. I remember the first six-figure deal I did, which was just over 100K, and it was, um, no, it wasn't. It was just under six. It was just under six. It was like 96 grand. It was irritatingly low, I remember, uh, just under it. Um, This was a recruitment deal. I remember that that deal, the feeling I had, I know I'm right with this, the deal without question was based, like the percentage we got on the, on the fees and so on, was totally based on the fact they liked me. I took them for dinner. I was fun. I remember I can see it now. I went down to South London and I met the uh, director and also one of their, the people working with them. I took them to lunch. There was a good wine. I made them laugh. I showed I knew my stuff. I It wasn't awkward. And we were there like, you know, you, you book a lunch sometimes and it's 45 minutes to an hour. This was two, two and a half hours. It wasn't about getting drunk at all because we didn't. But this was about like really making them feel like what a good guy. Like I really enjoy this guy's energy and, and like presence. That's what got the deal. No question. And what happens is if you're in their pocket in that way, if, you, if they like you, it doesn't matter who else is out there with other propositions. It's like there's some voice in their head going, I just like this guy more. So you, Jonathan, I know that you do exceedingly high ticket products and, and often yours are multiple six figure propositions as well. It's the relationship and the networking and, and the referral and the fact that it's like, oh, you should check out Jonathan. He's my man. He's really worth uh, connecting with. That's the way in which people decide uh, to buy from you. So this again goes to the thing I talked about at the very top of this session, which is about warming and about this idea of this first persuasion tip being you are the prize. What it achieves is it makes people want to go for you. They feel good about it being you, even though other people might have other propositions that you're even superior. It's just going to be you because the human in them like feels that they're on your wavelength and people by people they like. Uh, Carol, you've asked a question. I'm going to rattle through some of these questions here. So Carol Bosker, great to see you here. Uh, Team UK, 
Uh, Richard, do you have any tips for making a lead magnet more persuasive? Yeah, I think a really good idea with a lead magnet is to start super small. You know, giving away an ebook is a mistake. It's too big. Uh, to, you know, keep it um, um, consumable and accessible. A really good idea with a lead magnet is to use specifics. So in sales, specifics sell. What that means is you can say, right, here are three things. So this, uh, I'll share with you three things that did this thing. So it's a very simple outcome against very simple steps because people don't want an ebook. They don't want to sit and read 100 pages. They just want the answer. What are the steps? What do I need to do? So the more simplistic and specific a lead magnet is and easy to consume, like when it's a one page cheat sheet, it's so powerful because people are like, oh, this is just perfect for me. In my accelerator, I have a DM cheat sheet, DM scenario cheat sheet, which is on all the different scenarios in LinkedIn when someone is checking your profile, voting in a poll, commenting on a post, whatever it might be. What do you write and why to the different types of connection, first or second or whatever? And although it's for the group that's paid to be in there, they're all loving it and they're all getting great results from it because it's so simple to consume. It's two sheets of paper. That's it. And it's like, here's what you do. And here's what you say. And it's just like, great, copy and paste. That worked. Wow, that's brilliant. Rather than long-winded philosophies on uh, uh, highbrow concepts without any specifics. So the best lead magnets are simple ones because when it's simple, you can then get in touch with them and say, Carol, how was that? Did you find, you know, what, or not did you find it useful, but what part did you find most useful? Carol, and they, they can say, Richard, that was really great. I had three amazing tips for you there, but that second one really made the difference. Really, why do you think that is? Well, because it did X or Y. Okay, great. Now we've got a conversation about how great I am. And, and this is back on this point earlier of the most persuasive voice being their own. That's sharing why I think you're good. So keep it simple, accessible, and specific as well. So four tips or four steps to achieve X, for instance, will really help you out. And so many people jumping in on Instagram. Wow, I'm impressed. Thank you so much, everyone, for watching in. Uh, it's insane. You guys, there's so many of you. Thank you. Uh, is that lead magnet available, Richard, or only available to your clients? Only available to my clients. Sorry. Um, but you can always join Carol, couldn't you? Uh, the Accelerator. So uh, if you want, if anyone wants to hear more than the Accelerator, just DM me Accelerator and we can at least have a chat. Carol, you and I are an overdue a chat anyway. Thank you very much for joining us on uh, on Clubhouse at the weekend. So I uh, just want to say hi to everyone joining in there. Uh, Alice Curation, good to see you here uh, on Instagram. Carol Boscart, uh, Mindsetalam underscore business coach, uh, Aiko Kalari, uh, Mirav Levine, uh, good to see you here as well. Uh, Jar Plus Oni, uh, Jana Dodefeld, good to see you here as well. Uh, language M underscore Diretta. Uh, Jenny Core, we answered your question. I hope you heard it earlier. Uh, thanks so much for tuning in. Fun underscore underscore way. Uh, only for Shime. Uh, Amir Hatia tip, tip V as well. There's a lot of, lot of you. Thank you for watching uh, on Instagram. Uh, and Jonathan, I hope that answered your question. So let's look at one more tip. One more tip. We've, we've had in terms of sales persuasion, you are the prize. Second one the most persuasive persuasive voice is their own. The third one, let's think about sales persuasion, persuasion. And it goes to something I've kind of already been talking about already is that this, I, I kind of want to, I'll reiterate it as this third tip is that people buy people that they're into or that they like. So you should be focusing. So let, let's say this third tip is that people buy people they like. Okay. So how do you really do that? You show them that so firstly you can do it through content by being familiar the more people see something the more familiar it becomes right trust is formed out of the known rather than the unknown so if someone knows you and sees you they feel more trusting towards you that's why we would trust a celebrity we know more than someone we don't know you trust you know the rock Dwayne Johnson more than someone you don't know because that person has familiarity for you. But re like relating is crucial as well. So when you do engage or speak to people, it's crucial to say, you know, I'm like you, or I remember this, or I know someone who's been through what you've been through, or even better, I've been through what you're, what, you, what you're going through, and I overcame it in a certain way. Showing that you're on their wavelength helps someone believe that you're like them. 
humans want to gravitate. They are social animals and, and social is a thing that we can't really do without. So we naturally like to um, keep ourselves to ourselves unless it's someone who we like or who is familiar, who will add, say, status or, or give us something stimulating, such as intellectually or, or emotionally or, or in terms of humor and things like that. Otherwise, we will keep our barriers up. So when you break through them and are like them, they let you in and then that's where receptivity lies. So that's really, really crucial. I'm rapidly going to bring this to a close now because we're hitting an hour. Uh, but I want to say thank you for watching. This is episode 258. Next week is the penultimate ever live startup business Q&A. Uh, we'll be finishing up the week after that on 260. Thank you so much, everyone, for watching. I really appreciate it. And uh, and that will be the end of it. That'll be the end of it, but will be the start of the YouTube. And I am pumped for that. Thank you, uh, everyone watching over on Instagram. I will see you soon. Thank you also on Facebook and LinkedIn. Have the best week. And I really appreciate all the support. Thanks so much.